Welcome to our show, Conversation with Priya. I'm your host, Priya Mishra, and we would like to welcome today our special guest, Mr. Simon Fix. Simon is an experienced business coach who specializes in strategy and digital marketing for SME companies. He is a reformed engineer and a linguistic who loves using his analytical and creative talents. He believes in thinking different and in challenging perceived ideas and way of working in a constructive way. This can often be the catalyst of change. As a mindset accredited coach, he believes coaching and training through an online platform which client can access 24 by 7 from anywhere in the world. As director of a glass bottom boat limited, he has first-hand experience of running a small business and the understanding the importance of using the latest digital media marketing techniques. Over the past 15 years, he has successfully helped businesses in sectors such as electronics, construction, equipment, and specialized manufacturing to break new frontier and transform the way that they operate. In this spare time, he is a volunteer mentor, mentor with Business Mentor New Zealand and chair of Mecca Network, which is an informal networking and collaborative forum for people in the New Zealand industry technology industry. Simon keeps fit with the regular Pilates classes and beach and bush walk with his wife. Aside from being a great cook, his new passion is baking. He is based in Auckland, New Zealand, and I would like you to help me to welcome Mr. Simon in conversation with Priya. I'm Priya Mishra, your host today. Hello, Simon. Welcome to our show, um, Conversation with Priya. Thank you for accepting my invite. Uh, that's my pleasure. I look forward to, to talking to you. Thank you. So in, in terms of starting your business, would you like to tell something about to your audience how your journey started? I started life as an engineer. Yeah. And I, in my 30s, I realized there was more to life than being an engineer. So I did a full-time MBA, but the other strand to, to my bow is I'm a linguist. My degree was in both engineering and modern languages. And after two years with Ernst & Young, I then was appointed trade commissioner in Germany for New Zealand. Okay. And what got me the job was my knowledge of German. I knew nothing about exporting. Right. And that put me on the path to international marketing. Right. And I enjoy dealing with other cultures. Uh, principally, my expertise is in Europe, Germany, France, and but also Scandinavia and the UK where I'm from. Yeah. But I enjoy interacting with other cultures. That's interesting. So you, uh, I know in your work also, you bring all that cultural context and you know people enjoy working with you in terms of many cultural activities. Yes, well, my wife is from South Africa, but she's a fourth generation Indian. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate, I, I mean, first of all, there are huge differences between Indians in India and different parts of the world, but the Indians in South Africa came out as indentured labourers in the at the turn of the uh, last century. Yeah. So they've they've been in South Africa 
longer than many Europeans have been in Australia or New Zealand. And so yeah. they've, they've developed their own distinctive culture and cuisine. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So do you believe that these different cultural contexts understand, and understanding about it, it helps in uh, most entrepreneurs and business owners? One mistake we fall into is thinking we speak the same language. And it was Winston Churchill who commented that Great Britain and the United States are two great countries divided by a common language. Yeah. So one important difference is that in New Zealand, people are reluctant to say no. Yeah. Uh, whereas in Germany, especially in Northern Germany, in Holland, uh, people are very happy to say no. So the good thing is no means no, and they'll tell you, and there's no hard feelings. Yes means yes. Yeah. Whereas here, yes means possibly. Right. And so you need to understand the cultural context of the people you're dealing with. Sure. And there's the danger of seeing somebody who you think is similar. So for Kiwis, we're used to going on holiday in Australia, yeah, we think we know Australia, but in a business context, we don't. Mm. Each each state is very different, different regulations. Uh, we're somewhat amused by the interstate rivalry. Yeah. Whereas, if you say dealing with China, you don't let's assume you don't speak Mandarin or Cantonese. You know you need an interpreter, and you know you need a business partner who can help you navigate the business climate, business yeah. environment. And, and that, that's something that you would know from your background in, in India. Don't be confused by similarities. Yeah. So like you observe that as an outside perspective, it can help you discover new ways of viewing obstacle and help to turn away many of them into the opportunity. Does that define the role of a business coach? Well, partly, one of my favorite definitions is to comfort the troubled and trouble the comfortable. Interesting. <laughs> and the knack is to understand what's needed. Right. Because if somebody is in a, a fragile state, mm -hmm. financially, emotionally, they need to be comforted and they need to both be comforted and feel comfortable so you can then start to trouble them but in a constructive way yeah yeah so my linkedin headline is business coach sme directors hire me to reframe their business to overcome challenges and harness new opportunities yeah. I guide them through a three-stage process, survive, revive, and thrive, ask me how. Yeah. So it's important to have a clear definition of what you do and who you serve and the results you help them achieve rather than how you do it. Yeah. And so many people say, all right, we need better answers. Mm -hmm. But if you need better answers, 
you need better questions. For sure. And one thing that I do well is ask better questions. Mm. And some of those may appear dumb, but often those so-called dumb questions lead to a fresh way of thinking. Yeah. So with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's having a huge impact globally and it could well continue for the next few years. Mm. And some of some of the household names like Hertz have folded, other companies like Amazon are thriving. Yeah. But the point for businesses to note is that business as usual no longer applies and there's no going back to normal. Yeah. The business world has changed forever. Mm. And they need to recognize that. Yeah. So um, one of my sayings, well, I have quite a, my, my British sense of humor is something that keeps me sane and hopefully entertains my clients. But there's, there's a wonderful saying, nostalgia, it's not what it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... In, in terms of branding is an important tool in marketing strategy. I have heard the comment, everywhere is shop dreams of becoming a Starbucks. Will that remain a dream for most uh, small entrepreneurs or uh, are there some clever strategy that can turn these dreams into the realities? Well, let me start with two stories. Yep. I was brought up in England yeah. And my last three years were spent in Chichester in West Sussex. The first body shop opened in 1976 in Brighton in East Sussex, and it sold 25 different products. Right. And the first overseas franchise opened in Belgium in 78. And by 1982, okay. there were two new shops every month. I don't enjoy shopping, but I can recall going to the body shop in Chichester I had no idea what the future might hold. It just struck me as being a nice, a, a nice, different shop selling good quality uh, products for the skin and hair. Yeah. Thirty years later, there were more than two thousand stores around the globe. Mm -hmm. It started with one shop yeah. in Brighton, and then a second shop, and yeah. it grew. But it grew through franchising, not through building bricks and mortar stores. A story closer to home is Icebreaker that was founded in New Zealand by Jeremy Moon in 1995, when, yeah. he, when he was only 25 years old, 24. I recall attending a presentation he gave in Wellington with my wife, who's a professor of international marketing and business. Right. Icebreaker started with the brand, mm -hmm. not any products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. And in 97, Icebreaker was the first company in the world to establish long-term contracts with key merino growers based on genuine trust and mutual concern for animal welfare and the environment. Mm -hmm. okay. 23 years later, the company was sold for just under $300 million New Zealand. Right, wow. So this guy started with an idea, mm. with a brand, but what do these two have in common? In each case, the founders had a clear vision 
and a set of values that resonated with their first customers. Yeah. And Simon Sinek describes this as their why. Mm. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Yeah. And then two other factors were relationships and systems. Mm -hmm. So start by building strong relationships with suppliers that are built on trust and shared value. Yeah. And then build relationships, with, especially with your early customers, mm -hmm. and turn them into raving fans. Yeah. And I highly recommend a book called Fanocracy by David Meerman Scott. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting facts. To be honest, everything is all about value add, how good value you are offering and how you are actually connecting to the people. And it's amazing to see the young entrepreneurs, how they come up with the great idea, work hard and smart, not only work hard and smart, and, smart, and the consistency they maintain. Um, amazing to see the growth and the achievements these young generations um, does. So in that sense, that internet come into a, an existence around 31 years ago. The personal computer is older than that, having been invented in 1974. These two inventions, have fundamentally changed business practice in our time. My question is more specific. How much have these helped small entrepreneurship as a global movement? Well, it's had a huge impact, uh, and it'll, it, both on companies and consumers. Yeah. And your last question was about branding, and this leads into your, this question here. So there are three important aspects of branding which are not related. The company name, the domain name, and the trademark. Yeah. And think of it as a three-legged stool. You need all three legs. Yeah. So you need to register a company name mm -hmm. and then a domain name. And the fact that you have a company name doesn't give you any rights to a domain name. Yeah. So it could be yourdomain.com or it could be yourdomain.com.au if you're targeting Australia. And you may need to be a bit creative to find a domain name that's available and suit your company. Yeah. And you may want to have a keyword as part of your domain. Yeah. So I did a search yesterday on super duper roofers. Okay. And that the .com domain is taken. I then changed the spelling to roofer as in R-U-F-E-R. -E right. And superduperroofer.com yeah. is, is available. Mm. So that's where you can be a bit creative. And there are websites such as namemesh.com mm. that can help you generate a domain name and it works best with two or three domain keywords. Yeah. And the next thing is the trademark. Yeah. And that protects your name. It can also protect images and colors, for example. Yeah. But they are registered in a country. They must be distinctive and not descriptive. Yeah. So you have the branding push it pulling you in one direction hmm. with keywords and the trademark pushing you in the other. It needs to be distinctive, not descriptive. Yeah. So you, you need to get all of those things right before you even start. Yeah. And then before you register a domain name, 
you need to check for the availability of the most important social media channels such as YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah. And ideally, you want the same name for all three. Yeah. Um, and even if you're not going to use Twitter, for example, create an account and secure that name. I, I, I liken it to securing your digital territory. Yeah. So what all this means is that a micro-enterprise can look like a far bigger company yeah. and that a new business can be truly born global. Mm. So you can enjoy stellar growth, yeah. but you need to have the foundations in place yeah. and be able to yeah. grow at a fast rate. Yeah. See, I have noticed that 90% businesses uh, like local businesses, they are not worried about actually trademarking them. And eventually when they grow, uh, they want to grow global or you, they want to register their name, the name is already gone or taken by somewhere, someone in the international market. And, you know, like Australia and New Zealand respect the international filing dates and all. So there is a possibility that you could name, lose that particular name. So better the day you start, best trademark yourself you know, rather than going it later and doing it. There are a lot of challenges happening in the trademark industry. So better you choose a name which is available at the very beginning rather than losing the name after working hard on it. It's very hard to build a brand. Yes, well, that's sound advice. I mean, the, the other thing is that if you built your the trademark is part of your brand, it's part of your reputation, um, if I was to, my name's Simon, and yeah. people know me as Simon. Yeah. And if I came along one day and said, hi, hi Priya, you can now call me Fred, you would be confused. Obviously. And if your business is built, built on recognition of Simon, then changing is, is disruptive and can really hurt your business. Yeah. So... People get confused between patents and trademarks. Yeah. A patents are very expensive and in many cases not advisable yeah. because you're forced to declare your invention. Yeah. And then someone far larger can simply copy it. And if you challenge it, they'll say, that's fine, we'll see you in court. Yeah. Whereas a trademark is protecting the name, the image, the color. Yeah. And it's, but it's only in a particular jurisdiction. Yeah. Um, so you may want to check on the, the availability of that trademark in major markets if you have any aspiration of growing. Yeah. Because there are two things. One is you don't want to find, you can't register that name, but the other you don't want to be confused yeah. with that company that does have that name. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, um, just to highlight that every country is different. So if you want to operate in a particular country, you have to trademark in that country. And specifically, avoid confusion. Australia and New Zealand is two separate countries. So register two separate places if you want to trademark like that, if you want to operate in those places. Yes, I mean, one point, well, two points. First of all, I'm happy, I do give general advice about trademarks to my clients, and I stress I'm not a trademark attorney. I will not file any trademark applications for you. 
and I strongly advise you against doing it yourself because a, a well-qualified patent attorney, that, that's their core business and that yeah. person will do it well. One thing to be aware of is something called the Madrid Protocol, mm. whereby you can register, say, a trademark in Australia now mm. and later on register in the US and you have the same what's called priority date. So it could be the 30th of October in Australia, mm. six months later, file it, register it in, in the US, and you, you'll be backdated. But again, you need to a, think carefully about your branding, about your growth aspirations, right? and seek advice before you start mm. to do anything. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't have the money, then you perhaps shouldn't be going into business. Yeah, for sure. So like is a first thing first, if you're getting into the business, you should be ready for another six to six months to one year, you know, for any rainy season. It's good that you start your sale in a month or so, but if you wouldn't, you should be able to sustain yourself in that fashion, I believe. So that brings to our next question. Most small entrepreneurs face the challenges of managing different departments like marketing, production, finance, personal, et cetera. And the constraint of employing high-quality professional, what has been your advice to them? Well, your question reminds me of the performer rushing around the stage, frankly keeping lots of spinning plates on poles by giving each space plate a spin in turn. Mm. You can only do this for so long. Now, this may be great to watch, but it's no fun if you're the person rushing from one plate to the next and the point there is that never confuse being busy with being productive. Sure. So the first advice is ensure that all important processes are well documented so that they're clear. Mm -hmm. And the test is someone who is new, can he or she follow that process? Yeah. And then many entrepreneurs fall into the trap of thinking that they are, they are indispensable mm. and no one can do a task as well as they can. As good as they can, yeah. And this leads to the so-called hands-on management, start of management, yeah. which I think can be dangerous as it leads to constant interference. Mm. So be clear about what is to be done and any essential requirements about how it is to be done. Mm. And then make sure the pe personal people doing the work have the right training and resources and then let go. Yeah. Now, employing new staff may be needed but it's only one way to increase resources. Mm. I recommend starting by outsourcing non-critical tasks to virtual workers. Mm. And there are many platforms such as Upwork mm. that are easy to use. Yeah. And the next thing is distinguish between what I call the magic and the mundane so that you keep the magic in-house. Yeah, yeah. So, and then because... That way you're clear about what what must you keep secret. Mm. Does someone need to sign a non-disclosure agreement before he or she can be seeing the information? Yeah, for sure. So you guard that with your life. Mm. But then if you're going to hire key staff, hire them before you need them. Yeah. And not afterwards, but still keep an eye on your cash flow. Yeah, for sure. And my most important piece of advice is hire people who are smarter than you. 
You shouldn't be the smartest person in the room, for sure. And great entrepreneurs do this well. Yeah. So but that's where you need to be comfortable about yourself and recognize that you could hire people who are have what, what I call um, a manageable level of incompetence. Yeah. They won't challenge you, but they, they might annoy you. Mm. If you hire people who are talented, who who share your vision, so you've got a clearly articulated why. Yeah. And so says, wow, this sounds great. I'd love to be part of it. Yeah. Allow that person some freedom of movement and action. Yeah. And see where that person or those people can take the company. For sure. Uh, so if, but if too many are fearful and probably feel somewhat awkward that, and they don't like being outshone by somebody. Yeah. yeah. Turn that around and, you know, be clear. Uh, I'm the founder. I've hired people that are smarter than me. Welcome to the team. Let's see what we can all do together. Yeah. yeah. And that's a very different mindset. Mm, yeah, for sure. And also, I, these days, a lot of companies or small entrepreneurs are starting, like you can outsource the CMOs, CFOs, that kind of a position if you're a little bit medium size and you do need that kind of a help. So there are a lot of people are coming up with that kind of a concept as well, that you, even on the senior position, you don't need to hire them because hiring is a responsibility, I believe. But, it is. Yeah. And you, because you, there's no point hiring somebody if there isn't the work there because he or she will just get bored. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. So especially with say a CFO, there's some great people and we, we know a few in common who do this and do it well. Yeah. And they're, they're you know, be it one day, two days, three days a week, they will either come in or work remotely yeah. and provide the expertise you need. Yeah. And at some stage later on, you might then want to have a full-time role. Yeah. But that virtual CFO or some other senior person mm. can be a great interim solution. Yeah, yeah. And they, with the less responsibility, but still you can engage them as and when you go. So it's it's a very great solution to work together until you reach to a position where you are too busy. So that brings to our uh, last question. Is there anything in the last advice you would like to give the people who want to grow in, you know, people who want to join the revenue growth model? Um, I think understand that the ways of doing business have changed forever. Yeah. And you need to think differently and I suggest hire a few young people yeah. for their enthusiasm, but you probably need someone like someone with a bit, bit of experience to also be a sounding board and a guide as well. Yeah. Uh, so the important thing is the world has changed forever. What worked before 
may not work so well or may not work at all. Yeah. So if you're used to going to international trade fairs, which is one of my specialities, yeah. well, they, I think they will, will not come back. They'll be replaced by virtual events. So you need to think very differently about how you engage with international customers and distributors. Yeah, interesting. So thank you for you to find he's very, Simon is very active in um, LinkedIn, I believe, and other social platform as well. So uh, you guys can find all the details will be given below in our description and you can find him everywhere on the different channels. He is based in New Zealand, but he helps people global. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining in today. That's it. it was interesting. I'm sure a lot of small businesses will take something from this conversation. Thank you, Priya, so much. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you.